We're picking up back up in our study in the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 9 today, and, and we're going to look at the covenant that God makes with the earth, is the way he says it uh, in Genesis chapter 9 towards the end of uh, verses 16 and 17. And so we're going to look at the blessings of God as God blesses this new uh, creation that he has brought out of the floodwaters and now has given a secure place uh, and and he's going to provide some blessings to mankind and really to all of creation that ensures that these this new creation, this new life can go on even after the judgment that he has brought on all the world. And so we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 9 verses 1 through 17 today. And I will read that, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and then look further at the text. So let's read together Genesis chapter 9, or you can follow along with me as I read Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the way waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will rem remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that you are the God who blesses. You are the God who makes covenant. You are the God who makes promises. 
And those promises are everlasting because you are everlasting. You are not fickle like some man who gets angry at a whim, but you are just in all your verdicts. You are long-suffering and patient and kind, and you are willing to provide grace even in the midst of your flood, even in the midst of your judgment. You are willing to provide mercy. And it is because of that mercy and that grace that we are able to come to you as children of the Most High God today, ready to receive from your word as a child sitting at his or her father's lap. And so, Lord, we ask that you, through this story, would teach us the, the truths about your blessings and your a life that you give us. Father, give me the words to say that would encourage and build up and take away those words that would distract or lead astray. And Lord, I pray that all would be done for your glory alone. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the last couple of weeks, I've been traveling a good bit. I've been out to Phoenix twice in the last two weeks. And this last week, I went out to Phoenix for a sales meeting. And uh, when I travel, especially to a big city, I've gotten in the habit of using Uber. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of Uber, but it's a pretty neat uh, program in which you can get on your phone where you, you call up a driver and he comes and picks you up and you, you never have to holler at anybody in a cab or anything like that. You just schedule your, your pickup time and they come and they get you and they take you to where you, you say you want to go and, and it all is taken care of right there on your smartphone, you know. And, and so I've, I was a little anxious about it to start with because you don't, you know, it's, it's not like a regular cab service and you don't have a, an official business that's overseeing these cabs. But I've gotten to where I really enjoy it and appreciate it. And the thing that I enjoy the most about uh, Uber is the, the people that I've met, the drivers that I've gotten to meet. I've met people from Somalia, from Cuba, from uh, Haiti. And this last trip, I got to meet this young man from Mosul, Iraq. He was an Iraqi that moved here during the last Gulf War. And he told me a little bit about his story as we were riding around. He said that he moved here because he's a Christian. And being in Mosul, Iraq, I don't know if you remember, but it's up in the north of Iraq. And it's uh, one of the places that got overrun by ISIS during the heat of that battle or that war. And uh, he said, you know, really, there was no place for me as a Christian in Mosul, Iraq. I had to leave because ISIS was hunting down Christians. Well, what was also interesting about my trip to Phoenix is the very next Uber ride that I took was with a young lady who was from New York, but she had served in the army for 10 years and she had served two tours in Iraq. And I said, well, you know, that's interesting. The last Uber driver I had was from Iraq. And I explained to her why he had to leave and all that. And she kind of shook her head and she said, yeah, she said, you know, I never have understood why anyone would kill over religion. I mean, and this is her quote, I mean, why would you kill someone over what they choose to believe? Now, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to talk with this, this lady much longer, but I, I, if I had had the chance to talk with her much longer, I would have asked her, I think I would have asked her, um, what principles she believed were worth defending. And if she was willing to kill someone for what they chose to believe. 
Because in reality, whether it's religion or whether it's our our political stance or whether it's our our family position, there is everybody has a set of principles that we choose to believe and that we are willing to die for. If we didn't, we wouldn't have militaries. (laughs) But in the reality, everyone has a set of principles that they are willing to die for. They have a set of principles, ultimately, that they are willing to kill for. But we have come to believe, particularly in America, that religion is kind of an optional thing. And uh, this young lady, whether she realized it or not, was influenced by a philosophy that goes all the way back to the the, um, 1400s with Rene Descartes. It's a philosophy that says that religious truth is not like any other truth. In fact, it's not like the truth of science or the truth of mathematics. Religious truth is really just an opinion that you hold. This philosophy has evolved over the years so that people today believe that religion is, can be useful. It can be a useful tool for your life. And if it helps you get through life and if it makes you feel better about the ultimate questions of life, then great. But it's not necessary, and definitely belief in God is not necessary. And people in turn have come to live as though the world just happened by chance. And all that we see and all that we are is really just the function of random events, mathematical formulas, laws of nature that keep everything moving in a certain direction. But there's really no ultimate truth that we can all Hold to. It's really just what you choose to believe about the world. Really, we're no different, though, than the ancient pagans who surrounded the people of Israel. Sure, they believed in gods, but they believed that these gods were, were really just material like everything else. The gods ultimately were subject to the same laws of nature. They might be able to overcome them with their superpowers, but they were still subject to the laws of nature and to the march of time and to the whims of other powers. But the Bible tells a very different story. It shows us a world that had a beginning. And that beginning wasn't the result of random colliding atoms or angry warring gods but the result of a benevolent, loving God who spoke everything into being. We've seen it in the blessings that God gave to Adam and Eve when He says that they are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and that they are to have dominion over all living life, uh, all, all of life. We've seen it even with His protection of Cain after the fall and when Cain commits murder. Even in our fallen state, God blessed us and gave us the the ability to continue in this fallen world. And yes, even in the flood story that we've already seen, God is still sustaining life. He protects Noah and he protects a remnant of all of creation and he cleanses the earth of the wickedness of the fallen angels and men who corrupted it. And so we saw last time that Noah comes out of the ark and he offers a sacrifice. And this sacrifice pleased God. And it says that it causes God to rest from the wrath that he had for mankind. 
And so in chapter 9, now we come to this blessing that God is going to offer to Noah and to his offspring and really to all of creation. And there are four blessings that I want you to notice that God gives to all of mankind. And we'll go through each of them. But before we do, I need to make sure we understand what we mean when we use the word blessing. Because particularly in our southern culture, the word blessing has come to mean just little more than well-wishing. You know, when you say bless you when somebody sneezes, you're not doing anything for them. You're just saying, I'm sorry you had to go through that, right? Or as, as uh, we southern, particularly southern ladies have gotten good at, you know, the, if you have someone that's a little crazy or that you disagree with or maybe a little, little off and you, you want to say something bad about them, but you, you want to be careful and you want to caveat that bad saying about them, what do you end up saying at the end of your statement, ladies? Y'all know? Bless your heart, right? You, it's a way of saying you've got a problem without being mean to the person. And so we've come to the point where we say, bless your heart. You know, or we, we offer a blessing on people. You know, we'll say, Lord, I, I pray God's blessings on you or bless you. I hope things are okay. Or we might say, well, I'm just blessed. And we mean that we have a, a good life or that the God has given us good things. And all of those things are good to say. But when we say those, we tend to just mean that we wish people well. That we hope that they will do well. But when the Bible uses the phrase or the word blessing, when the Bible, particularly in Genesis, talks about God blessing someone, it is not the idea of God just wishing them well. So when God said, when it says in verse 1 that God blessed Noah, it's not saying God said, well, I hope you do okay after the flood, Noah. Good luck. That's not the idea that is given here. Rather, God's blessing is His enabling will. When God blesses someone, He is willing them to go forth and do what He has commanded them to do. And so in Genesis 1, when He blesses man and woman, and He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, He is giving them, He is enabling them by His blessing to go forth and to do that. And so let's look at these four blessings that God gives to Noah and to his offspring, and to all of creation. First, in verse 1, God gives the blessing of fruitfulness. Um, in verse 1, he recapitulates the blessing that he gave in the Garden of Eden, and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now understand that the continued lineage of humanity has to have the blessing of God. To continue. Now you know this. Whenever you have held a little baby. If you hold little Isabella in your arms. And you look at her. You cannot help but feel the blessing of God. Right? I mean you know that that little life is a blessing from God. Life. We know that because we know that life does not have to be. It, there is no reason that life has to go on. In fact, scientists to this day cannot explain how life has come to be. 
Um, They can explain the chemistry of life. They can explain how we're made up of proteins and amino acids and, and, uh, and carbon and all of that. But they cannot explain how those inanimate chemicals become life. In fact, we are exploring the universe, trying to find planets that also have life on them. We send robots to Mars to drill down and find water. And we assume that where there is water, there is life. But you know, in over, what, uh, 50 years of scientific exploration into the universe, we have yet to find life. Because it's not just the elements of life that make life. There has to be something that jumpstarts these inanimate proteins into living things. For life to continue, for life to even exist, it has to be by the blessing of God. It is only God that can continue life. And so he looks at Noah and his children and he blesses them and says, Okay, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Second, God gives the blessing of food in verses 2 through 4. He tells Noah and his family that just as he had given every plant to Adam and Eve at the beginning... Now he gives every animal for food. And this blessing has a real practical element to it. Because if you think about it, there's just been a year and one month worth of flooding in, in all the earth. What happens to crops when they even have a week's worth of flooding? They're no good. They're dead. And so for the humanity to survive, they had to depend on animal life, not just on vegetation to survive. But it also establishes an important distinction between the animal kingdom and the human kingdom. God has already told us that we are unique among all of his creation. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, he says that we are made in his image. We are different from all of the rest of creation. But now he makes a distinction with Respect to the authority over life. And this needs, I believe, to be understood in our day. Our society particularly has become obsessed with the animal kingdom. We've, no offense, we've become obsessed with our pets. (laughs) Now I have a little, I have three dogs and I love those dogs. But some people have become so obsessed with their pets that they even refer to them and put them on the same plane as human life. I mean, just listen to the way we talk about our pets. We use terms that are human terms. And uh, there are organizations like PETA uh, that openly campaign. I want you to think about this. They openly campaign for the reduction of human life so that animal life might continue. Some radical members of PETA believe that in order for the world to continue and animal life to continue, people ought to uh, electively choose uh, euthanasia, abortion, and uh, to not have children in the first place. 
They believe that the problem with this world is ultimately the fact that humans exist. In fact, one of their slogans is, animals are people too. But God has set a boundary between animal life and human life. God gives a priority to human life, which includes the use of animal life for our own sustenance. And I'm glad too, because I like steaks, but that's just a side note. Uh, Third, God gives the blessing of fiat in verses 5 through 6. Now in these verses, God establishes human government. He says that if a man takes life, then by man's hand shall his life be taken. And this is the first time that God has given anything that he originally claimed for his own authority to mankind. And so before the flood... God God governed human life. And like in the situation of Cain, Cain, God marked Cain so that other people might not kill him. But now, after the flood, in order to prevent the situations that led to the flood where men were increasing in violence, God establishes the authority of human government in order to execute, literally, morality. And we find this also in Romans chapter 13 where Paul says that the, the governor or the person in authority as a go- in government authority is a minister of God for your good. That he bears the sword by God's authority. So when we look at human government, we find its need and its reality in this fallen world as the one who ministers for God in executing judgment, particularly when it comes to the issue of life and when it comes to valuing human life. Lastly, we find the last blessing of God in verses 11 through 17, where we find the blessing of faithfulness. Now, this is a famous promise of God. We all have heard the story of Uh, God giving a rainbow as a promise that he would never judge the earth again. And we know it because we're reminded of it every time we see a rainbow in the sky. But God promises that he will never again judge the world with a flood. And we often miss that God gives this promise in the form of what's called a covenant. In fact, he says, I make my covenant with you and with all flesh. Now, the word covenant literally means a cutting. You see, in the ancient times, there was a contract that was made that is called a covenant between two people. And what they would do is they would often take a set of animals and they would cut those animals in half. And they would lay the halves of the animals out and the two parties in the covenant would walk between those animal halves and, you, and they would take, make the vows of the covenant. And what that meant was, if I break this covenant, let this happen to me. And the reason a covenant is called a cutting, and you hear oftentimes in the Bible it said that they cut a covenant, is because it's meant to say, if I don't keep this covenant, let me die. We have covenants today, we just don't realize, we don't call them that. In fact, the best example you can think of as a covenant is the covenant of marriage, 
when a man and woman promise themselves to each other and they promise themselves to each other till what? Death do we part, right? It is a covenant that ends in death. So God makes an unconditional promise that He will never again flood the earth and the sign of that covenant is a bow in the sky. Now I've always thought of this bow as being a bow tie. I don't know what you've imagined as a bow of what the rainbow is, but I always imagined it as being a bow. But when I got to studying for this sermon, I realized I had that all wrong. This bow, the word used there for bow, is a weapon. It's a bow like you shoot, not a bow like you tie. And the significant thing about that is I want you to think about every rainbow that you have ever seen. Which way is it pointing? It's pointing up, right? In the promise of God, and the reason the bow in the sky is a sign of the covenant, is because God is saying, if I break this promise, if I break this covenant, let me die. Now, can you kill God? No. So the promise that God made to Noah is an everlasting promise because God is an everlasting God. So God says, I make an everlasting covenant that I will never again judge the earth with a flood. So God's blessings here are beautiful. But it would not take the people of this new world long to forget the blessings of God. They would rebel against His blessing of fruitfulness at the Tower of Babel by refusing to fill the earth as God had commanded. They would rebel against His blessing of food, choosing to do grotesque things like eating living flesh or practicing cannibalism. They would rebel against His blessing of fiat by continuing to the murderous regime that was established by Cain, even going so far as to offer their own children as sacrifices to false gods. And they would rebel against the blessing of faithfulness by flouting God's grace. The Israelites, worst of all, would take the special blessing of God's grace and use it as an excuse to chase after other gods thinking that God would never forsake them because they had some special kind of blood. But then, Jesus comes as the true blessing of God. Through Jesus, the blessing of fruitfulness is fulfilled. Because it is through Jesus that we find this fulfilled promise that He would extend His kingdom to the uttermost parts of the earth. So you read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, this great throng of people in heaven singing praises to God from every tribe and tongue and people. Through Jesus, we are not given just the blessing of food as our daily bread is provided by Him, but we are given the bread of life which is Jesus Himself, so that when we are wondering what our purpose and our plan is, God gives us assurance through Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have the blessing of fiat, as, as Christ has called us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to do good to those who persecute us, to lay down our lives for our friends. And lastly, through Jesus, we have the blessing of faithfulness. 
As Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. We have been brought through the floodwaters of judgment and secured in the promises of God because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is because of what He has done that the promises of God are secured for us. So we don't worry and doubt about our salvation because we know that God is eternal and that He has made an eternal promise that those who rest in His Son, those who trust in His Son, will never be put to shame. And so, brothers and sisters, we have been blessed through a new covenant that God has made with us through Jesus Christ. And we are called to be fruitful by going forth and proclaiming the gospel and bringing new children into the covenant of God. And God has promised that He will bless our efforts in this, that He will be with us even to the end of the age. And so may we go forth from this place like Noah went forth from the ark, knowing that we have the blessings of God to live for Him, even though the world is under judgment, even though the world will not continue for, forever, yet we know that God is with us, blessing us as we go, because He has secured our salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the promises that You have made in Your Son, and that they are yes and amen through Him. So, Father, as we leave this place, may we leave with the confidence of Noah, knowing that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Give us peace as we go. Give us faith to endure the trials of this world. And may we rest in the assurance of our salvation, knowing that you keep your promises. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.